The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. I am Janie Stewart, and I am the Associate Director here at University Ministries, and I have the privilege tonight of introducing our speaker. We have the opportunity to hear from one of our interns tonight, Tom Elizabeth Noble, which is very exciting. Um, for those of you who have been around here for a while, you know Tom is the guy who leads us in worship. So you know that he is an incredibly talented musician and songwriter and worship leader. But that is not all that is Tom Noble. There's a lot of other factors. He's also wicked smart. I would say he's probably maybe the fourth or fifth smartest person on the human staff. So he... Seriously, he's actually incredibly smart. He graduated last year from the University of Colorado with a degree in environmental studies. Um, so he can tell you anything you want to know about the weather. He can talk about mammals. He can talk about quantum physics. He can talk about the space shuttle. I mean, Tom, he, he's got a lot of things that can blow your mind. Um, but I would say that sometimes Tom's intellect can give you a little bit of whiplash because at one moment he'll be talking about the theory of relativity and how that helps us understand who God is. And the next moment he'll be referencing South Park and making fake lasers out of blue tape. So you never really know what you're going to get out of Tom Noble. But I would say, and I think everyone on the human staff would agree with me, that the word that we would use to describe Tom above any other is faithful. Tom is incredibly faithful. He's faithful in who he is. He's faithful in his pursuit of Christ and discovering more of who God has created him to be. And he's faithful in all of his relationships. If you have the privilege to know Tom, you will know that he is probably the most faithful person that you get to know in your life. So I'm excited for you to be able to hear from Tom, not only so that he can blow your mind, but also so that he can share his heart with you tonight. So here's Tom. Thanks, Janie. Oh, wow. Kind of don't want to talk now after that introduction. Thanks, Janie. Uh, thanks for coming to the end. We've got a great evening uh, planned for tonight. I'm going to be talking about some stuff that hopefully you guys can relate with. Uh, but before we get started with all that, um, really quick, I know I'm wearing a Britney Spears mic. And I feel like Tony Robbins right now a little bit, too. <laughs> But just roll with it. It's fine. Uh, I wanted to let you in a little bit on who I am so that, you know, we can get to know each other a little bit better. You know, as we go throughout the evening, it'll make things less awkward. Um, yeah, uh, I was born in Wiley, Texas. Ever heard of it? Probably not. It's right outside of Dallas. It's really tiny and dumb. But I uh, lived in Texas for 11 years, moved up to Colorado when I was 11. And uh, later on, went to the University of Colorado, like Janie said, majored in environmental studies with an emphasis in environmental sciences. So I'm not hippie, but I just love the weather. And I honestly, I honestly went to college to be a weatherman. So it's sort of a juvenile dream of mine to be like, we have temperature in the high 40s today. And, but I really want to do it. And Tom Noble, I feel, is like a weatherman name. So we'll see. Um, so... <laughs> Besides my unhealthy love for clouds, uh, I also love music, and it's really cheesy, but I, I love music. I've been playing guitar and singing and leading worship since seventh grade, 
I started writing songs at the beginning of high school and uh, been doing both of those ever since. And a big way that my love for music came out is actually in a band I was in for six years. And uh, being in a band is the best. And I really, I really suggest it for all of you. And so I found out a way that I could tell you about my band and also tell you how to be in a band at the same time through a series of pictures. All right? So first of all, you need a band name. My band's name? All at once. Uh, we never actually used that logo, but you get the picture. AAO, it can be shortened down to, very marketable name, but uh, all at once, that's what we decided on. And so before you even write your first song or pick up an instrument, you got to take band photos. That's right. <laughs> Junior year of high school in all of its glory. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> if you, in case you didn't notice... Uh, your hair does funny things in a band. Um, it starts to grow. <laughs> and it's not just your normal hair. It's your facial hair, too, that gets, gets crazy. That's Joe. That's our lead guitarist. And check out those chops. You see that? That's like below my mouth line. It's not even real. Anyways, after you got the, the, the hair down and the promo photos down, then you move on to the, the whole playing shows, because you've got to play music. And all at once, we did some cool things. We played the Oriental Theater. We played the Fox Theater up in Boulder. We had our names in the lights. It was fun. And uh, so after that, you know, you get fans. And then the fans are like, oh, hey, we love your music. Can we get your CD? We're like, oh, crap, we don't have a CD. We've got to go record. Check that out. <laughs> That's right. That's a bunch of technology, and that's me singing from my heart. You see that? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so once you get the CD out, you're like, okay, well, we got to have our CD in this nice little package, and we got to be able to market ourselves. You know what that means? More band photos. That's right. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you... <laughs> Anyways, it, it works. Don't, don't get me wrong. So uh, this is the best thing about being the lead singer. I was the lead singer of all at once. This is the best thing about being the lead singer. See, I'm looking directly at the camera. Everyone else has to do the stereotypical, oh, I don't really care about this, you know? I'm not even looking at the camera. Oh, this camera? I don't care. So that's great. And I just wanted to show you this picture because I look really creepy. <laughs> Why not? So <laughs> we, had a, we did some fun things. We had our that thing you do moment when we're on the radio for the first time. We're calling up all our friends and everything. And uh, I'm really proud of what we did. It was, it was a really good time. Um, so naturally, when I heard that I'd be speaking on, on this topic, this topic of music, I got really excited. Uh, we're looking, this is sort of the third of four talks, and looking at this series of looking at popular song and seeing the longing behind them. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at U2. Ryan Church was telling us about putting our boots on. That was awesome. Last week, we heard from SPU's own Dr. Jeff Cuse. All right. And uh, all two people from SPU are here. That's good. <laughs> and uh, he, he, taught, he was talking about Sufjan Stevens. And uh, tonight, we'll be talking about one of my favorite bands. But before we get to there, uh, I got a question for you guys. And to help me ask this question, we're going to be playing a clip from a little show that's called 30 Rock. <laughs> Love it. All right, so my question for you guys, if you could see the world through anyone else's eyes, who would it be? So why don't you guys stand up, stretch, say hello to someone you didn't come with, and then ask them whose eyes they would want to see the world through. Hopefully you guys had some good answers for that. Um, 
If I had answered that question, if I could see the world through anyone's eyes, anyone's, hands down, it would be the lead singer of Coldplay, a guy named Chris Martin. You guys know Coldplay, right? That's what I'm talking about. Touche, Steve. <laughs> uh, they, I would just love to see the, the world the way he does. I just I feel like he's got a lot of stuff going on up here that he just sees things differently than I. And um, You can just tell this through their music and their music videos and everything. And especially their live show. Has anyone ever seen them live? Dude, if you haven't, that, you should put that on your bucket list of things you want to do before you die. Because it is, it is simply incredible. Um, I think a prime example of this is their music video, Speed of Sound. If you've never seen it, don't worry about it. I'll explain it to you. So it's basically, it's basically them, like in this giant cavernous something. You can't really see where they are, but it's just black around them. And so it's like the band, and then behind them is this like two-story, 100-foot-long light board-looking thing. And it's really cool because as you go through the video, there's this giant crescendo. It starts out really dark, and it gets lighter and brighter and more colorful. And it's just... It's awesome. So you, you need to see this. But um, it, it, uh, it also has some, some interesting words for the chorus. And I think this sort of shows you the depth of where he's coming from with these words and how confusing they are. So why don't you throw those up right there. Uh, the chorus goes a little something like, Birds go flying at the speed of sound to show you how it all began. Stevie... <laughs> Close. <laughs> I'll just tell it to you. Birds go flying at the speed of sound. Just show you how it all began. Birds came flying from the underground. If you could see it, then understand. When you see it, then you'll understand. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that if I did see birds flying from the underground, I'd still have no clue about what's going on. But... <laughs> But that's the beauty of it. I mean, it's confusing, but I think their, their music paints such a beautiful picture. Just in my mind, whatever birds flying at the speed of sound means. And uh, just, Lyrics are just drenched in metaphor. And uh, their music is so rich and impactful. It just makes you feel good when you listen to it. I mean, you're just listening along and it's just hugging your soul slowly and just whispering in your ear. Open your eyes because life is beautiful. I'm like, thanks, Coldplay. But uh, <laughs> in all honesty, I, I, that's happened to me before with some Coldplay music. Uh, I, I see God through Coldplay music, and that's okay. And that's why I love this particular series, because it's not looking at just Christian music or just worship music. It's looking at the music that we all listen to, not just Christians. As I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a songwriter. Uh, I've been writing for eight, nine years now. And every, every writer will go through this at some point in this career, but it's something called writer's block. And it's exactly how it sounds. It's just you can't write anymore. You can't create any original material. Whether you're a musician or an author or you're writing poems or doing the newspaper, there's some point where there's just some mental disconnect and you can't write anything. And it totally sucks. And I have experienced writer's block uh, in my little writing career. And it sort of freaked me out at first, because I'm like, am I just going to be some has-been composer and, and all this stuff? But it, it lasted a year and a half. And it was crazy, you know, being in a band and not coming up with original material. It's, it doesn't work that well. But um, it, it was interesting. After a year and a half, I was, just on, I was on the website of another one of my favorite bands. It's a band called Angels and Airways, if you guys ever heard of them. But 
great. Um, and so I was on the website, and they were coming out with a new disc pretty soon, and they had a little video you could click on. And the video was like a one-minute clip of this song that they were previewing. So I was like, oh, that's fun. I'll listen to it. So I listened to it. And as, as it's playing, it's like, it's almost like hearing music for the first time. Like it was so beautiful and it was just hitting me. It was stirring something inside of me. And, uh, and after that minute long clip, I was like, I gotta hear this again. So for the next 25, 30 minutes, <laughs> I'm listening to the same one minute clip 25, 30 times. And, uh, it was so crazy. After the end of that, I was just amped on something. So, you know, I grabbed the nearest pen and I was like, ah, oh, pen. And I grabbed a piece of paper and I just started writing some lyrics. It was bizarre. And then I grabbed my guitar and started putting music to it. And that was it. My writer's block was gone. <laughs> I was like, yeah. But, uh, but if you notice, it wasn't from reading the Bible. It wasn't from hearing a sermon. It wasn't from praying a lot. It was from, the old Blink-182 singer in his new band. And so, <laughs> I had a religious experience listening to Angels and Airwaves, of all things. I think that's the point of this series. Look at the everyday songs you and I listen to and find the incomprehensible death, depths, not deaths, <laughs> incomprehensible depths that these authors are writing these songs from. So that, that gets to uh, the song that I want to talk about this evening. It's from... Coldplay's 2005 album X and Y and the song is Fix You. Chris Martin was interviewed about the writing of this song. And uh, this is what it said. Um, Chris wrote this song for his wife. His wife is Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, Chris wrote this song for Gwyneth after her father died. She came home from the hospital covered and drenched in tears. And he started crying and he asked her, what can I do for you? Tell me how I can do. And she looked up at him and said, just hold me, because you're the only thing that can fix me right now. And that was that. He wrote the song the next day. In the face of tragedy, what do we become? And as humans, how do we react? And for us, why is loss so hard? We're going to leave this song for a bit, but... uh, Let's put it in our back pocket, save it for later. Last week, Dr. Cuse mentioned one of the most perplexing questions that Christians face today. And that is, if God is all-powerful, and if he is all-loving, then why is there evil in the world? Remember that? If God is all-powerful and loving, why is there evil in the world? Why does evil exist? Well, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm not even going to answer that question tonight. Because uh, I'm not here to make excuses for God. And I don't know why bad things happen in this world. It's a very, very complicated issue. But it's, it's something that does get to me. And I, I have a couple of reflections that, that help me when I get overwhelmed with this, this idea of an all-powerful and all-living God, yet there's still evil in this world that I, I'm living in. In Dan Brown's book, Angels and Demons... Uh, there's this little dialogue between a priest and a guard. And it, it talks about God being all-loving, all-powerful, yet there's still evil in the world. And so it is a dialogue, and I didn't really know how to present a dialogue between two people with just one person. So I have a couple of helpers. So helpers, why don't you come on up? And what they're going to do is they're going to read through this scene. And uh, don't worry about it, it'll be good. 
so Jordan, you'll be playing the, uh, what are you, the priest or the guard? Jordan. He's a guard, so he'll be asking all the questions. And Alex will be the priest. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, why don't you guys bring it in, right. see this thing. I don't understand this omnipotent, benevolent thing. You are confused because the Bible describes God as an omnipotent and benevolent deity. Exactly. Omnipotent benevolent simply means that God is an all-powerful and well-meaning. I, I understand the concept. It's just th- there seems to be a contradiction. Yes, yes. The contradiction is pain. Man's starvation, war, sickness. Exactly. Terrible things happen in this world. Human tragedy seems like proof that God could not possibly be both all-powerful and all and well-meaning. If he loves us and has the power to change our situation, he would prevent our pain, wouldn't he? Would he? Well, if God loves us and he, he can protect us, he would have to. It seems he is either omnipotent and uncaring or benevolent and powerless to help. Do you have children? No. Imagine you had an eight-year-old son. Would you love him? Of course. Would you let him skateboard? Yeah, I, I, I guess. You know, sure, I'd let him skateboard, but, but I'd tell him to be careful. So, as this child's father, you would give him some basic good advice, then let him go off and make his own mistakes. Well, I, I wouldn't run behind him and, and baby him, if that's what you mean. But what if he fell and skinned his knee? He would learn to be more careful. So, although you have the power to interfere and prevent your child's pain, you would choose to show your love by letting him learn his own lessons. Of course. Pain is part of growing up. It's how we learn. Exactly. Thanks, guys. I think that's a a great insight into this whole tension, this, this, uh, this question. And it sort of... It helps you see where God is coming from. But it's in no means an answer to why bad things happen in this world. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, it, in, in some way, it doesn't really console us. There's not a lot of compassion with that situation. In the sense that that skin knee is a lot more than a skin knee and a lot of the sorrow and a lot of the tragedy that we face. Because I know for a fact that it hurts a lot more losing a loved one, losing a family member. And it hurts a lot deeper than a skinned knee. It's complicated stuff. In order to unpack this tension even more, uh, I wanted to look at the basics of who God is. And I wanted to look at the basics of this world. Alright? So, uh, let's take a look at God first. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. God has no beginning and no end. God is the beginning and the end. He, he lives on an infinite time scale, negative infinity to infinity. That's where he lives. Simply put, God is. Straight up. And, uh, you know, since we do have this God who is just chilling up here on this time scale that we will never fathom, what does he stand for? Well, you guys have heard the old Christian cliche, God is love, but it's a cliche for a reason, because it's biblical, it's true, God is love, God is hope, and more importantly in this situation, God is compassion, and we need a whole lot of compassion for all the sorrow and the pain that we will experience in this world. 
And speaking of this world, let's look at the basics of it. God did create it, yes. God did create man, so that's all well and good. But then you have man who had their own little bit of agenda and broke that ideal of the world. And now that's where that fall of man is. So now we have a world that is ruled by something called entropy. Everyone's heard of it. It goes from order to disorder, right? The underlying theme for this world is tragedy. Humans were, was, humans are the cause of sin entering into this world. We have broken away from God's ideal. So now we have established that God is compassion and the world is tragedy. Where does that leave us when that tragedy strikes? When that pain comes? When the sorrow falls in our lives? Now I feel we can go one of two ways. The first way is we can ask, why? Why did this happen? Why is there evil happening in my life right now? Why me? Why? Or we can seek out God and God's compassion. In 2003, um, I, uh, I was in New York with my high school choir. <laughs> awesome. I'm a choir kid. And uh, long story short, I ended up fracturing a bone in my ankle during that time. I wish I had some cool story, but it was just me walking around and it broke. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, uh, I go back to Colorado. I go to the doc and the doc's asked my leg with the x-ray and he's like, well, you broke one of the two bones you don't want to break in your body. There's one in your wrist and the one you broke in your ankle. And I'm like, thanks. Um, so... The sort of the procedure from there was to find a specialist who is really good at working at bones like inside your ankle. And the plan was to reconnect the fractured bone because the fractured bone, it was sort of like this, you know, half of it was gone, half of it was there. But the half that broke off actually lost blood supply. And if you, if you don't know this about bones, bones need blood to live. It's living kind of breathing thing. And so having a dead bone in your ankle, not good news. So I flew out to Oakland, California to the specialist. His name was Dr. Mann. And <laughs> Dr. Mann. And <laughs> I, I got to let you in a little something about Dr. Mann. He's about five foot nothing. And his features grew in a way that he looks exactly like Yoda. So, <clears throat> so I get to the operating table. I'm laying down. And he like steps on some surgical stool so he can actually see onto the table and operate on me. So I'm like, thanks, Mr. Dr. Man. Uh, so <laughs> it's pretty straightforward surgery, right? Put the bone back together. We're all good to go. Well, uh, you know, after the surgery, six to eight weeks in a, in a cast and a boot and crutches and all that stuff. Uh, cast comes off. Doc zaps the x-ray again. And uh, it didn't work. The surgery was a complete failure, pretty much. Um, it was weird. So, you know, Yoda comes back in, takes off my cast. <laughs> takes off my cast and he's like, all right, well, cast is coming off, but lay off the running and the jumping and the sports. And I was like, okay, Doc, well, for how long? And he said, well, for the rest of your life. And... That was hard. I mean, hearing this dude who looks like Yoda telling me I'll never be able to run again. 
you know, be able to like play sports without some sort of a consequence. Like it was tough. It was devastating. The rest of my life, I got to carry around this freaking burden with me, and it's, it made me mad. I mean, who is this guy to tell me what I can and can't do? And you know, I was an 18-year-old. I thought I had a whole life of running and playing ahead of me, but uh, Doc, he had a different word for me. And and it's weird. Like I always try to prove him wrong. You know, I try to go out and play frisbee or football or something without you know my my ankle braces on. And every single time, Doc is right. Last time I played football without my brace. I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't even walk to the bathroom the next morning because my ankle's so shot. And, uh, I was reduced to walking around with a cane pretty much the rest of the day because it hurts so bad. And you better believe that I was asking that question, why? Why me? I'm a young dude still. Why did this happen now? I couldn't have waited till I was older. Why? Why did this happen? After a while, you know, asking the question why only goes so far. I saw a lot of futility in that question of why. It only forced me into this perpetual disappointment with my situation. It kept getting me more and more pissed off that, you know, I'm a veritable cripple almost. That I can't go out and run down the street without having to stop or without falling to the ground in pain. So it put me into that. And I don't know why I'll never be able to run without slapping on a couple of braces again, but but asking that question, why, where will that get me? Where will that get me? It's about surrendering my disappointment with this situation to God. It's about trusting that He will be able to bring some sort of a good out of this situation, however that may look. And I know that we think that our way is best a lot of times. We know what right and wrong should be. But a lot of times we have no idea. We need to realize that God is a smart dude. I mean, with being all-powerful and all-loving, He's all-knowing too. And we need to surrender to Him that, hey, maybe this guy knows what's best for us. And maybe he can actually work through this situation for some good to come out of this. And while God's mere existence and the way he works in this world is so confusing and a talk in and of itself, he gave us a sweet bridge that transcends all that confusion, all that pain, and all that suffering. A bridge that will never fail, that is always there as Jesus. That's what two days was all about. Two days ago was all about. Easter. It's about the celebration of Jesus, about having that bridge between the compassion that God has and the crappy tragedy evil-filled world that we live in. Let's go to the Word now. The passage we're going to look at is from Romans 8, verses 22 through 27. And so that I can get a break from talking, we're going to have the voice of the inn read it. So, voice of the inn. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The earth pains, and it waits for its restoration. It is stuck in tragedy and sin. It is overwhelmed. And Gwyneth Paltrow, back to the song, she was overwhelmed at the loss of her father. And she couldn't tell her husband, Chris, what she needed. She just needed to be held. And I think this is a beautiful picture of community. And how community can look. That when our friends are going through some really stuff they don't want to be going through, that if you know they lose a job, if they didn't get into the school they applied for, a loss in the, of, a, of a loved one, we need to be there for them. And we need to comfort them with our presence. Not with the answers, because probably, we probably won't have the right answers. But just with our presence, we can be there for them. And while this paints a picture of community, I believe it also paints a picture of our interaction with God. Again, Gwyneth didn't have the words or the answers to tell Chris what she needed. And this passage in Romans is telling us that we don't need to have everything that we need and present it to God in such a way. We don't need to come to God in a way that's like, God, uh, this is what I need. Here it is wrapped in a nice little box here. This is what I need, God. He asks us to come. He asks us to engage Him. To seek Him out. Verse 26, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. God hears the very emotions that weigh down our heart. How cool is that? We don't even have to say a word. We literally just have to reach out to Him in our time of need, in our time of suffering, and He will hear our unspoken brokenness. I think that's pretty cool. And that's what I see at the end of Fix You. Lights will guide you home. You will someday get back to that comfort and ignite your bones. You will be restored. You will be made a new creation. And I will try to fix you. Now you can tell that this song is a song written from one human to another. Because of that word try. I will try to fix you. But then you bring that into a vision of us interacting with God. There is no try. God will fix us when the world breaks us. You hear that? God will fix us when this world fails us and breaks us. And I'll be the first to say it. It won't be in the way you expect. It probably won't even be in the time frame that you expect. But he's there for us. So just because our expectation isn't being met doesn't mean that God's aren't being met. God will fix us in his time and in his way. And if we go one verse further to Romans 8.28, you find the hope in all of this. You find the hope. <clears throat> Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, not just the good, but also in the bad, in the peaks and the valleys and the good times in your life, and when you think that you couldn't have another crappy thing heaped onto you. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is for us. The way he fixes us is more perfect 
and more brilliant than we could ever picture or imagine. He takes the sin of this world and renders it useless. It flips it on its head so it no longer has a hold on us. And this is due to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And God's redemption is so powerful and so perfect that it may even seem like these things happen for a reason. But we have to remember this another simple fact about God. God is incapable of creating, manifesting evil. God won't put you through all these evil things and it may look like he's putting you through all these things of the evil of the world, this tragedy of the world. But let's not remember, or let's remember, <laughs> God physically cannot create evil. Humans allowed evil to come into this world. You remember that from earlier? Humans were the cause of this evil coming into this world. But that's where God can thrive. That's where his work can be seen, is working through all that pain and all that suffering in this world. So that being said, uh, I don't necessarily believe things happen for a reason, but I believe that God can sure work through every single situation, that he can redeem every situation that we go through. And we need to remember that God works in ways we will never know, but he's there. He's our rock. He's our constant. He is our redeemer. So when the bad things of this world come to you, what will you do? Will you ask this question of why? Why is this happening? Or will you seek out God and his compassion? And I'll give you a little hint. It's not about the why. It's not about the why. It's about the victory at the cross. Redemption will come. And that, that is how he will fix us. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight humbled to be called yours. And it's it's hard to think that uh, despite this world you've created and all the people in it, you still care about us. That's huge, God. We thank you for that. We thank you that you know us by name. That you have our names etched into your hands. And that you know us by heart. And we pray that when this world fails us, which it will, God, that you would be there. That we would seek you out. We would seek your compassion. Because we know that what this world will give us will get us nowhere, God. So we pray that when, when we need love and when we need hope and we need your compassion, God, we would come to you. And I pray that we would learn more and more to come to you in every situation, God. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for your son. And it's in his name that we can pray these things. Amen.